Okay, if you have your Bibles, you turn in them to Romans chapter 8. Um, if you don't have your Bible, there's a scripture that's printed on page 6 in your bulletin. There's a place to take notes on page 7. We're actually going to start today by reading this passage. We're going to be looking at Romans 8, verses 14 to 30. So friends, listen. This is God's word. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is God's word. It's a long passage and there's a lot in it. Um, but my hope is that you will fall in love with this passage. That you will commit yourself to understanding it to thinking about it, to mulling it over so that you can see it work its way out into your life. Um, this month, the month of May, we've been looking at the Bible's teaching on adoption, on what God does. We've seen that when we believe in Jesus, God not only forgives our sins, but he adopts us into his family. And so just by way of review, uh, being adopted by God means, first, that there is no fear. You can call God Dad. Second, it means that you're a son or a daughter. You're not a slave. You are not a slave anymore. And then third, we saw last week, Sunday worship rehearses 
reduction. Right? It reminds you and it helps you remember and, and walk in your adoption. And so today is the last day of our, of our series on adoption. And we're preaching on this because really adoption, I think, is one of the central truths that helps us understand what it means to have a relationship with God. Okay? I can't tell you how many people I meet here in San Diego. Um, some people call themselves Christians, but a lot of them don't. And they've either left the church or they've rejected Jesus. But when I talk with them, they've literally said to me, wow, I've never heard anybody explain Jesus like this. In fact, if this is what God is like, of course I follow him. This is what adoption does. It helps people understand who God is. And I think also part of the reason we're, we're, we're looking at this is because so many people who have a relationship with God, they don't live according to the blessings that God gives to his children. Okay, when I think about this, I think of the book Tarzan. Right? I don't know if you've read that book. Um, we've talked about it a long time ago in the past. But it's like we are Tarzan and we're living among the apes. And we're not, we don't realize that we're human. Right? This is what Tarzan's upbringing was like. He grew up with the apes and he didn't know he could talk. He didn't know he had the capacity to read. He had a sense that he was different from the apes around him, but he acted like an ape. He talked like an ape. He did things that apes do, even though there was so much more inside of him. So many Christians live in the exact same way. If we can understand the Bible's teaching on adoption, it's going to help us to live out the full expression of what God wants to do in our lives. It'll teach us how to live in ways that actually bring satisfaction to us. Especially when we're forced to deal with suffering and tragedy, like what happened with the tornadoes in Oklahoma. We're going to look at that today, what the Bible has to say about that. And so, the first thing we're going to see today is that adoption means we have an inheritance. This is our first point. Adoption means that we have an inheritance. Okay, I don't know if you've thought about that yet, if you've looked at adoption, but it would make sense once you hear it, right? And this is what verse 17 says. Remember, well, we'll start in verse 16. It says, uh, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Okay? Makes sense? If you are the child of someone else, then you are their heir. Right? When God adopts us, we become his heirs. He shares everything with us. And uh, can I say this reverently? Um, our dad is loaded. <laughs> changes us. When we're adopted, 
I read this. It says, uh, someone on the internet said this. Said, 12 years ago, I changed my name. I changed my name to Alina Simone. I used to be Alina Valenkin until I swapped my father's last name for my mother's. Look at this. Look what she said. She said, when someone changes her name, a body gets stuffed into the closet. When I think back to my old self, I think of an entirely different person not altogether likable, whose singular distinguishing characteristic was the chronic inability to follow through with anything she said she would do. I picked up and abandoned projects with great regularity back then. But then I changed my name, and it changed me. In my new incarnation as Alina Simone, I had no reputation. I had no history of unmet expectations. I had nothing to lose, and so I started singing. I formed a band, and I poured my best self into my new name. <laughs> Friends, the moment that you begin to believe in Jesus, God gives you a new name. Your old self is stuffed in a closet. You're not bound. You've been set free. You're not enslaved to your old self. God sets you free. He gives you an inheritance. So it's not just up to you to make a new life, but God gives you his inheritance, which enables you to live. And so this inheritance, what's interesting is that verse 17 goes on to say that we don't just, we're not just heirs of God, but that we actually, the inheritance that we receive is Jesus' inheritance. Right? If children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you see that in the text? You need to see that that's what the Bible says. If you trust in Jesus, you are a fellow heir with Christ. You're a fellow heir. So, this means that the inheritance that we receive from God the Father is the inheritance that Jesus receives. Well, what's that? Right? What's Jesus' inheritance? We should. Psalm 2, verses 7 to 8. This was originally written for the king of Israel, but Jesus said this was talking about him. And it says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's what God actually said to Jesus on the day he was baptized, if you'll remember. And so this is talking about Jesus. Verse 8. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. The word heritage is another word for inheritance. Ask me, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And so Jesus is the king, and God has promised Jesus a perfected earth, a renewed world where love and grace and understanding and reconciliation rule. The world that we're all longing for is the world that God has promised to Jesus. The Old Testament talks about this as God's goal for the world. This is what God's going to do with the world. And what's amazing about Jesus is that Jesus brings this future world into the middle of history. Okay? N.T. Wright says this in his book, Simply Christian. He says, Jesus brought God's future forward so that instead of it happening at the end of history, 
It happened decisively in and through him in the middle of history. Jesus took all the corruption and decay, all the violence and evil and betrayal and sorrow and agony and even death itself onto himself. He went to the place where it would do its worst, and it did. That's what Good Friday and the cross are all about. But precisely because it did that, he has made a way through, and he's left the way clear for the world to be renewed from top to bottom. Which is precisely what began to happen on the first Easter morning, starting with Jesus' own physical body itself. The resurrection is a sign, among many other things, that God's new creation has begun, and that the future has come bursting into the present. Man, if you can get a hold of that, it will change the way you view life. He shares this, pulling into the future, he shares that with us. And T. Wright goes on to say, when Jesus rose again, God's whole new creation emerged from the tomb, introducing a world full of new potential and possibility. We find ourselves lifted up. We find ourselves set on our feet. We find ourselves given new breath in our lungs and commissioned to go and make new creation happen in the world. This is what the resurrection means for us. It's this inheritance that God has promised to Jesus. He then gives to us. He gives to us. And it's interesting because this sharing of inheritance, this is actually what it meant to be the Christ. The Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay, Christ is a title. It means, in some ways, it means representative. Right? That the Christ would represent his people. Okay, and so think about the story of David and Goliath. Right? Think about the story of David and Goliath. Um, what is true of David is true of his people. What's true of Goliath is true of his people. And so when David defeats Goliath, it wasn't just his own personal victory, but all of Israel were victorious and were saved from the Philistines. Right? And all the Israelites enjoyed the benefits of David's victory. Right? We see this happening today in the world of sports. Right? The NBA playoffs are going on, the NHL playoffs are going on, uh, soccer is always going on. Uh, but, but fans, we live through the performance of your team or your superstar. Right? When they do well, it's kind of stupid, but you think you did well, right? Your team wins, and you're carrying yourself high. Like, seriously, think about the emotional impact of your team winning the championship, right? Think about the impact that it has on you. Like, we're not that far from this. What's amazing is that the Bible says, the Bible says that when you believe in Jesus, you take him as your representative. He is your all-star. And everything that he does, you get credit for. That's what we learned about last month in justification. Right? God treats us as though we are as perfect as Jesus was. And now we learn that as God adopts us, we become fellow heirs with Christ. A 
saw the movie 42. It's the Jackie Robinson story. It's an amazing movie. And it's interesting because the, the two main characters in the movie are Jackie Robinson, obviously, but then the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers. His name is Branch Ricky. And at the beginning of the movie, the owner, who played, who's played by Harrison Ford, um, he says, he, he's describing why he's going to choose Jackie Robinson. Why he's going to break the color there. Why he's making the decision. And it's really interesting because he basically says, because you know what? The last time I looked, money wasn't black or white. Money was green. All money is green. Whether it comes from a black hand or a white hand, it's green. And so you get this impression that, oh, okay, well, so this is going to be a great story about Jackie Robinson, but the owner of the Dodgers is just in it for the money. Uh, but then for the rest of the movie, the rest of the movie, the owner of the Dodgers adopts Jackie Robinson. Treats him like his own adopted son, provides for him, makes sure that he's prepared, encourages him, draws near him, does all these things. It's like, it's almost like literally like two thirds of the way through, you actually find out the real reason why the owner broke the color, why the owner brought Jackie Robinson to Dodgers. And you find out, oh, that that opening scene was really just his way of convincing one of the people on his, on his staff why this is a good idea. But it's interesting, because this is what he says. This is what the owner of the Dodgers says to Jackie Robinson. And it totally relates to this idea of adoption. He says, look, people are not going to like this. They're not going to like having you on our team. And they're going to do anything to get you to react. If you echo a curse with a curse, they'll hear only yours. If you follow a blow with a blow, they'll say a Negro lost his temper. Your enemy will be out in force, and you cannot meet him on his low ground. He said, we win if the world is convinced of two things. That you are a fine gentleman and a great baseball player. Amazingly echoing of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus said, You've heard a curtio, an eye for an eye, but I say to you, turn the other cheek. And so Jackie Robinson responds back with a pretty healthy dose of sarcasm and cynicism in his voice, and he says, And y'all have seen the trailers, you've seen this line. He says, So you want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back? And Harrison Ford thinks this is no. No, I want a player who has the guts not to fight back. And then in the movie, Jackie Robinson says, says the other, look, you give me a uniform, you give me a number on my back, and I'll give you guns. Friends, that's what adoption is. God gives us a uniform God doesn't put a number on our back. He writes his name on our foreheads. As we are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wraps us in the uniform of Christ's righteousness. And he says, I need people who have the guts not to fight them. Who have the guts to live differently in the world. Who have the guts to follow after 
by only begotten the Son. against the wall, 
And he's just limited. He's beside himself. He doesn't know what to do. But he just knows that this cannot continue. And he shows up in the midst of his suffering. And it's his father. And not his real father, but the owner, Branch Ricky, the owner of the Dodgers, shows up in the tunnel. And he leaves him there. And Jackie just says, like, do you know what I'm going through? I can't do this anymore. And Mr. Ricky says, no, I don't understand what you're going through. No one can understand what you're going through except you. He said, you are the one living the sermon. He said, you are the one who has to survive these 40 days in the wilderness. He said, you're not just a ball player. You're a hero. Friends, when the suffering feels like it's actually not worth it, the glory. We need help. We need help. And God provides that help. God provides that help because not only is our inheritance in the future, but this passage says that our inheritance is also in the present. Verse 14 says, right now, we are sons of God. Verse 15 says, God is our dad. Right? We have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba means dad. We have a close, intimate relationship with God. Or you can. You might not ever act like you do, but you do. God draws this close. He wants to hear your frustration, your anguish, your anger. He wants to hear all of that. Verse 24 says, in hope we were saved. In hope we were saved. So we have hope. Verse 26 says, verse 25 actually, it says, if we hope we cannot, for we don't see, we wait for it with patience. And so we have patience because the future is sure. The future is sure. And we look forward, we look forward with, an, with an assurance because we have now this present inheritance. And verse 26 says that the Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit intercedes for us. We need to talk more about what that means. And so, this is our next point. <coughs> this one's going to be quicker. Um, our next point is that our inheritance. We receive an inheritance with our adoption. Our second point is our inheritance strengthens us when we suffer. Okay, when we suffer, our inheritance can give us strength. Okay? What I love about this passage is how honest it is about our suffering. This passage doesn't hide the reality that life is sometimes awful. Right? Verse 17, if you look at it there, it says... If children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with Him. So suffering is part of your calling as a follower of Jesus. 
If you look at verse 22, it says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The world knows it's broken. The world knows that things go wrong. Natural disasters are part of that. It's creation groaning and longing for what's supposed to be here, for what, is, for what it was meant to be, for the perfected world that it wants to be. And then verse 23, not only creation, but we ourselves groan. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. And so we groan. And it's interesting because verse 26, it just says, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. <laughs> and so think about this. This is just saying, like, look, the creation is broken. We are broken. And we're so broken, we don't even know what to pray for sometimes. Do you ever feel that way? I mean, how in the world is, is this going to get fixed? Where in the world is God in the midst of this? How in the world am I going to get through this? And so they have one on pray. We have desires. We, we know that this, we, we know, we just know it wasn't supposed to be this way. We don't know what it's supposed to be, but it shouldn't have been like this. One author said this, but it's fundamental in prayer. It's not just the saying of words, but it's the expression of dependence on God. So sometimes we don't have the words, just the fact that you're depending on Him. And this author goes on to say this, weakened dependence. It's not just a precondition of salvation, but it's the assurance that salvation is in you. Okay? So when you are weak and depending on God, and you don't know how to pray, when you're weak and you're dependent, that's not just what you need in order to become a Christian. Right? Most people will never become Christians until they get to that place where they realize, I need God in my life. And so that weakened dependence isn't just what you need to have before you become a Christian, before you develop a relationship with God. But that weakened Dependence is actually proof that you are a child of God. Are you with me? So if you're struggling, if you're frustrated, if you are angry, if you don't know what to do, but you're depending on God, that is proof that you are His child. powerful in this passage is that verse 22 says creation is groaning. Verse 23 says we are groaning. And the question that I want to know, the question that all of us ask when we are frustrated, when life is broken, when we are suffering is, where the heck is God in all this? Well, verse 26 says that as you are in creation and groaning, in a creation that's growing, God is in you growing too. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so the Holy Spirit is given to us. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us. When we are groaning in frustration, when we're angry about life, God is angry with you, not angry with you. God is with you and is angry also at the brokenness of life. As you suffer, God suffers with you. And if you doubt that, you need only look to the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus learned exactly. If he didn't experience it up to that point in his life, then Jesus experienced your suffering on the cross. When he took on all of the evil, all of the suffering, all of the violence, all of the wrong in the world. This passage teaches us that the Spirit is in us and interceding for us. And so I think in some ways, He's taking our prayers to God. He is praying for us when we don't know what to pray. But I think intercession goes two ways. I think the Spirit is also then interceding for us and teaching us what is the will of God. Because it seems like that's what the rest of this passage is filled with. Look at verse 28. These are things that we need to know when we're suffering. Verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. This is a promise that God will remind you of when you're suffering. That he can and he will use this and use even this great evil in your life to bring about God can do that. The cross is proof. The cross is proof that God can take the worst thing ever to happen in human history and turn it into the greatest salvation in human history. And then verse 29, it's interesting, we get more instruction. It says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What does this mean? Well, this means that God, if you are following Jesus, not only are you an heir with Christ, but God has predestined you to be conformed to the image of Christ. Okay? I don't think this is just moral character, that you'll be like Jesus. I think this means that your life will be conformed to the image of Christ. Which means that you will suffer like Jesus did in this life and you'll be glorified in the next. That's the image that we have of Christ in the scriptures. That he suffered unto death and then was raised in glory. And this verse says, not just that God predestines in general, but you are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. So if life is hard, you're on the right way. If you are suffering, you are on the road of looking like Jesus. What God wants, Jesus died and rose again. He has ascended into heaven and sits there now. And he is ministering from heaven. What God wants is to fill the world with images of Jesus. 
He wants to fill the world with images of people who can endure suffering like Jesus and overcome it through the power of God and resurrection. That is our calling. That is part of our inheritance. The more we suffer, the more of God we actually experience. And verse 30 is this amazing assurance that God will see this through to the end. Because those, those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he glorified. So you can take this to the bank. That if you've been predestined to suffer with Christ, then you've also been called into God's family. And if you've been called into God's family, then you have been made righteous. You've been forgiven and accepted by God. That's what it means to be justified. And if God has justified you, he will glorify you too. God will see it through to the end. If you've been justified, you will be glorified. God will make you perfect, and you will inherit that future glory. So hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. Last point, very quickly, is that our inheritance changes us when we seek it. Okay? You have an inheritance. Those of you who are Christians, you've had this inheritance from the moment that you believed. I know for me in my life, I did not experience this inheritance for quite a while. I didn't know I had this inheritance. And I think I was a lot like Tarzan. <clears throat> even though I was human, even though I was a Christian, even though I had this inheritance, I didn't live like it. Right? I didn't understand that I had these blessings. I didn't understand that I had this inheritance. And so... The Bible says that as disciples of Jesus, we need to learn about this inheritance. Right? We need to come, we need to seek it. You know, what can you do to better understand your inheritance? Right? How can you experience this, live by this inheritance? I'm going to give you just a couple things. First, the Bible says you should pray. Okay? I'm going to give you some things that you can do so that you can actually understand your inheritance so that you can live out your inheritance. And so first, pray. This is what the apostle did. Look at this. This is Paul's prayer. In Ephesians 1, 16-18, he says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is what I'm praying for. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of Him, having your eyes enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? Comma. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So the Apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, when he wanted to make sure that the Christians in the early church understood their inheritance and just how rich and amazing their inheritance was, he prayed. He said, God, help them to know what is the hope of their calling. Help them to know the glorious riches of their inheritance in the saints. Pray that prayer and see what happens. Pray that God will help you understand the inheritance that you already have as a child of God. And see what happens 
See what God begins to reveal to you. So you got to pray. And then second, read the Bible. Read the Bible. I was talking with one of my kids yesterday, and, uh, and I was just explaining this. I said, you know, as you grow up, you have to take more and more personal responsibility for your relationship with God. And, and I said, I feel like our hearts, they're kind of like this big picture of water. And uh, as we live, sometimes that picture runs dry. Uh, and as we sin, sometimes we sort of like add these sort of black drops of food coloring in. And so our water level goes down and it gets black. And I said, reading the Bible is pouring fresh, clean water into our hearts. That's why we do City Bible reading as a church. This is why we want all of us to be able to read and worship Jesus every day. As you read, you're not just reading to read. You're not just reading so you can check off the box. Um, but you're reading and you can say, God, help me understand what are the blessings what are what is my inheritance? You know, and oftentimes it's it's my inheritance that becomes my adoration box. God, you did this for me, and so I did this uh, with the book of Romans. Uh, Romans, this is Romans chapter one through chapter eight, verse thirty. Okay, this these are all of the aspects of our inheritance from these seven and a half chapters in the book of Romans. Oh, you can't read it? Oh, you might have to do it on your own. Oh. <laughs> of course you can't read. You know what? It's too big. There, there are too many blessings for me to put on a slide. Okay, I mean, they're here. I can read them. We have received grace through Jesus. You are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You are loved by God. You are called saints. You have the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God's power for salvation is yours. You have God's power and salvation through faith. Not through what you do, but through faith, right? You have the righteousness of God by faith. God's kindness leads you to repentance. God will give you glory and honor and immortality. God will give you eternal life. God will give you glory and honor and peace. You have the work of the law written on your heart. You have a circumcised heart by the Holy Spirit. And it just goes on and on and on and on. Okay? Let me, these lines here, this is our inheritance, the blessings of our inheritance listed just in the verses that we're looking at today. Okay? These are things that you want to look for as you read the Bible. Because God wants you to know the glorious riches of your inheritance as a saint. God wants you to know that He is loaded and that He has poured out of Pentecost. He has poured out His Spirit and given you the abundance of heaven. You have the beginnings you become now in part what you will be completely in the future. This is the glorious inheritance that we have. Uh, I have a different version of this where I listen in number order, like one, two, three, four, five. And no joke, I didn't do this. I didn't like doctor this at all, but there were a hundred blessings. A hundred. I, 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 I didn't mess. I just was just like typing out. I'm going to hit the last one. Because the last one is that we are glorified. Right? The end of chapter 8, verse 30. So between chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 8, verse 30, there's a hundred blessings, a hundred elements of our inheritance. That's 
guess what? This is the beginning of your inheritance. This is just the beginning. This is just the foretaste that God has in store for you. So, this is why you read the Bible. It's not because you have to. It's because, man, do you know what this book says is true for you? We're, we just started Ephesians. It's City Bible reading. We did chapter 1. You might want to go back to that if you haven't started City Bible reading. If you want to know what City Bible reading is, come talk to me. I'd love to give you a journal. Um, we started Ephesians chapter 1. Huge. It's like heaven just breaks open and Paul, in this crazy, amazing, long sentence, lists off blessing after blessing after blessing. So we're starting Ephesians and City Bible reading. So now would be a great time to start City Bible reading if you haven't started yet. Um, like I said, happy to talk to you about what that means. Okay, last thing. Uh, so pray, read the Bible. Third, be in a life group. Be in a life group. Um, I've gotten good at recognizing my inheritance by being with people who recognized my inheritance. Okay, I needed to be with people who taught me how to see this in the scriptures. And this is part of what we do in our life groups. We get together and encourage each other. We teach each other how to read the Bible. We study the Bible together, right? We're, we're interacting, we're praying for each other in all of this. And so be in a life group because we can't do this on our own. Jackie Robinson could not do it on his own. He needed his wife in his corner. Amazing woman. He needed, he needed the owner. He needed someone in his corner who understood so do we, so do we. This is why we have a life group. Let's get the life group. And uh, if you do these things, then, like, the biggest key is just remembering. Like, that's what makes this thing flesh and blood. You've got to remember. When you wake up in the morning, remember, wait, wait, I'm a son, a daughter, I have an inheritance. Memorize one or two of the blessings that will powerfully move you so that when you get to work, when you get to class, when you're dealing with your family, you remember, wait a minute, I'm not just me, but I'm a child of God. Right? It's when we remember our inheritance. You don't have to remember all hundred of them, just remember one or two. Right? Just enough to remind you, oh yeah, 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 God is in my life. He is with me. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And if you're here and you haven't made that commitment, if you're not yet a child of God, you just need to confess your sins and trust Him. Confess your sins and God will adopt you today. Let's pray today. God, this is too good to be true, but it is. If it wasn't in the Bible, if you didn't inspire this, we would not have the audacity to believe. Thank you for loving us this way. Thank you for adopting us and making us part of your family. Father, help us to understand your inheritance. Help us understand our inheritance. I pray, God, that this inheritance would change us. We pray with Paul. Help us to know our inheritance. 
the glorious riches of our inheritance as saints, as children that you share with us. Help us to understand these things so that we can live by them. So that we can see you in the midst of our suffering, overcoming our suffering. This is good news, Father. Help us to share it with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. We're just going to leave that up there. Because communion is a time to respond. It's a time for us to respond to God, uh, to respond uh, with what he is good news. And so, how's God speaking to you today? What is God putting on your heart? I want to encourage you to think through, like, how do you think God wants you to respond to him? If there's something that you want to commit to, write it down. Write it down in the bulletin. If you need somebody to pray for you, write it down on that connection card. We'd love to pray for you. And I want to invite you to come to the Lord's table. Because this is the place <clears throat> where if you doubt or if you struggle, God reminds you of his inheritance. As real as this bread is, as real as the wine and the juice are, that's how real your inheritance is. Okay? It's not based on you. It's not based on your performance. It's based on Jesus' perfection. And so, coming, coming, and receiving the bread, the wine, the juice, it's receiving your inheritance. It's being reminded that this is your inheritance. And if you need this, I want you to come. The only thing that should keep you from coming is if you haven't committed to Jesus. If you're not following him yet. And if you're in that place, I'd encourage you, confess your sins and come. And if you're not ready to do that, then stay back, pray, and just consider. Consider the inheritance that God lavishes on those he loves. Let's pray together and ask God to help us commune with Jesus. And now look to me and receive God's benediction. The Lord has adopted you. You are his sons and daughters. And he has given you every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so go. Live as inheritors of the King. Live as his sons and daughters and share his love with others. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.